And there's this guy and he's going to be stinker thing. He's going to be in the grave. I'm going to raise him up out of the grave. And then, you know, this other guy's daughter's going to be dead. And I'm going to go. I mean, he'd have flocks and flocks of people if he laid it all out. But he didn't say that. The journey is a journey of discovery. Faith in action is Shavuot. You come and you lay it all down and you give up what the world has to offer you and you shall see things that you never thought possible. Lazarus raised from the dead. Jarius' daughter raised from the dead. You shall see amazing things. But it is a work of faith in action. Faith and works brings you into the millennial kingdom. Last night we were talking about Jacob's trouble, Yaakov's trouble. He had a lesser trouble, of course, when he met Esau. He has to deal with Esau. We're going to have to deal with Islam. Then there'll be 42 months where the woman, the woman is the Malkitzedic priesthood, those that hold the testimony of Yahushua and keep his commandments, then have to flee into the wilderness. It's a time of Shavuot, of separation of 42 months. 30 times 12 equals 360. And three and a half years, it's a very divisible time, which is why we keep the calendar we keep. Because as it was then, so it shall be again, and we live in between time. In preparation for the days ahead, we learn from the days of the past in preparation forward. That is the calling of the Malkitzedic priesthood. And all the squabbles about calendar and all of the other things, they fall by the wayside because we are focused on what is about to come forward in our days and time. So as we then extend through this 42 months or three and a half years of wilderness exploration, as the world implodes, as Zechariah tells you in the sixth chapter that the horsemen will ride to the north, the horsemen will ride to the south. There'll be an economic devastation in the northern hemisphere. There'll be disease, famine in the southern hemisphere as these hemispherical judgments happen. This will take some time as the world goes through this destabilization process. Everything that you think that you have, you won't have. Everything that you have, you think that you won't have. Because this is a time of sanctification. Sanctification in this time of separation. Sorry, I get very easily distracted when I'm teaching. I've got to be focused. So as we come into this time of 1,000 years that I believe will be a literal 1,000 years here on the earth, at the end of that 1,000 years, what we have is Satan is going to be released for a time, which will then be what? Jacob's great tribulation. That is the great tribulation, and of course, like we spoke last night, when was Jacob's great tribulation? When, of course, he was shown the garment with his blessed son, supposedly, his blood upon it. 
but it was the blood of a goat, but he didn't know it. What a time of great tribulation. So as we commence now with this second part of the Shavuot of separation, I want to talk about the distinction between faith without works. If somebody has the faith and yea, genuinely converted, will they be secure in eternity? Yes, that is the wonderful work of Yahusha. But they have been shown a shadow of the reality and have not progressed further. That's the difference between greatest in the kingdom, Matthew 5, 18, and least in the kingdom. But then there are those that have taken that inception point of conversion, which is faith alone, faith alone, and then through the maturity of discipleship by our master Yahushua, faith and works brings you into a special place called the Millennial Kingdom, where you actually will be part of this Malkitzedic priesthood governing through this 1,000-year period. And this is where we start again today, looking at this time of the millennium. But let's turn and look at Giliana, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Specifically, this is the judgment seat of Messiah. Okay, and it says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before Yahuwah, and the books were opened. Now remember, so many times we read scripture, we read scripture, and we buzz right through stuff. And then somebody comes along and says, hang on a minute, let's slow this down, let's break this down, and have a paradigm shift. Because the biggest changes in my lives have been those big building blocks that just change everything in how you understand the scripture. I think this will be one of those passages that we've read many times, but when we slow it down and then somebody, maybe like myself, just says, hey, Chip, look at this, look at this, you'll be like, oh my goodness, it was right there all along. Let's try it and see if it works. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before Yahuwah, and the books, the Sepharim, were opened. And another Sefer book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their according to their works. Now this is a very unpopular verse with many denominations. Grace alone, grace alone, grace alone. But you can't escape the reality just like, of course, Martin Luther said about James the Camel Needs, Yaakov, that this is the straw epistle. The straw epistle, it shouldn't even be in the canon because Yaakov, James chapter 1 and James chapter 2, flies in the face of Lutherism, doesn't it? Flies in the face of the grace alone. What are you going to do? Let's call it the straw epistle. It shouldn't even be in the Bible. I totally disagree with that. And we've done teachings on James the Just. But it says right here that you will be judged and written in the books according to their works. Now look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell 
delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now notice, the sea gives up the dead, look at the text, and hell and death give up the dead. Right there in the text. And then if you go to verse 15, verse 15 then, by deduction, tells us that there was some who were in death and hell that are found written in the book of life. There are some that were found in death and hell that were found written in the book of life. Because to you, when I say the word hell, you're thinking, oh, they've gone to hell. What is hell? It's the grave. Sheol. Death. But you, not necessarily you, but in the traditional religious world, hell is the burning flames. You know, and I, I, I would say at home, what the hell's going on? And my wife would be like, oh, you can't say that. And i say, oh, it's just a garbage pit burning south of Jerusalem. It's not like a bad word. She's like, so I'm just being a little silly. But no, look what the text says. Verse 15, by deduction, tells us that there are some who were in death and hell that are found written in the book of life. These are believers who were not in the millennium. Millennium exclusion. The kingdom of heaven, they were not there. Yet, what did they have? They had eternal saving faith. Because you are saved by faith alone. Not by works. You are saved by faith alone. The inward conversion and acceptance of the Melchizedek High Priest saves you into eternity. But it is faith and works, the outworking of your faith, that gives you millennium inclusion. A special gift to those that are found written in a special book. You have to look at the text. Thank you. Helping me out. I love it, guys. Deductive reasoning. Correct? So these believers who were not in the millennium, the kingdom of heaven, yet they had eternal saving faith, not kingdom works, and therefore Matthew chapter 5 says that they were least. Right? No. Because they're not even in the kingdom. So you have to look at the qualifiers and the disqualifiers within Scripture. Because they did not have kingdom works. They didn't have Malkitzedic book of the covenant works and faith. And were thus excluded from the millennium, spending their portion of time allotted, oh this is terrifying, allotted with the unbelievers. They spent their portion of time in the millennium allotted whilst we were in the millennium. 
Yahweh willing, because you don't know if you have attained it until you have attained it. Just as Paul said, I shall work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Was he talking about the eternal state? No, he wasn't. He was talking about inclusion into a special place called the 1,000 year reign on earth, which is faith and works. But grace alone, faith alone, secures you in eternity. But you will sit out of the millennium and have your time allotted with the unbelievers. Where do the believers and unbelievers go? Hell. Sheol. The grave. I'm not talking burning flames. That's yet to come. Right at the judgment seat of Messiah. So when I say hell, instantly you're thinking flames, but I'm using that just because I like to get a rise out of you. It's a common word, Sheol, the grave. And you can really freak people out and say, you're a believer. Oh, where did grandma go? Oh, she's in hell. No, she's born again. Well, she's still in hell. No, she's in the grave, right? I'm just having a rise with you because I like to get reactions and make people think because we've got the knee-jerk reaction. Oh, hell. <laughs> right? When you look at it in the Bible, it's not a bad thing. It's the grave. Sheol. But eventually there will be the burning lake of fire. That is much different than what I'm talking about here. But Yahushua said to us that believers that have faith alone will have their portion allotted with the unbelievers. They will not be in the millennium. They will be in the grave and have their portion allotted with the unbelievers. If they're still alive at the time we go into the millennium, they will also have their portion allotted with the unbelievers. And where will be the alive unbelievers and the alive grace alone believers? Where will they be? Where? Outside the gates, allotted their portion with mystery Babylon in the nations. And if they refuse to come up to the feast, they have no water, and then we put some plagues on them. Right? Because they will be all part of what they're receiving right now. Their body DNA is already being corrupted to such a level that it is a breeding ground for the future plagues. Which is why they are force vaccinating and bringing all that in. It is a destabilization and breakdown of the DNA structure that is ready to receive all of the atmospheric plagues that they're going to be bringing forth through their various harp and various technologies, chemtrailing and what's not. But the people that are actually now, through prayer, sanctification and pressing into Yahuwah, and prayer can change your DNA structure, and salvation by Yahushua can actually change your DNA code. Truly, truly. So, as we continue on, we need to focus on what Scripture does say, and not speculate on what it doesn't. So the key to Shavuot and the kingdom is the patience of the saints who understand the book of the covenant commands and how they pertain to the priesthood. 
those who keep the commandments of Yahuwah and the faith of the Melchizedek high priest. It's faith in action. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known, known and read all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Mashiach, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Ruach, the spirit of the living Elohim, not in tablets of stone, but in fleshly tablets of the heart. We have the Shavuot inception and now a Shavuot of separation. Not just written on tablets of stone or in ink, but what? but in the fleshly tablets of the heart, faith and works in action together. You see, the book of the covenant, which was brought forth at Shavuot on living stones, that's what it is today. You are, as Peter says, the lively stones, the living stones, and you're far superior that the book of the covenant can now be written on your heart, not on stone tablets. And that's exactly what Jeremiah the prophet spoke of in Jeremiah 31 verse 31. And the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote and spoke of in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 5. Telescoping accounts of what was and what will be, what is lesser and what is greater. So Shavuot is about growth from the Book of the Covenant inception written on tablets of stone to you now the lively stones and where it is to be written because this is all about entrance into the millennial, millennial kingdom. This is how Paul presents the fruit of Yahusha and his apostleship as the fulfillment of the Shavuot prophecy. He even spoke about it in Romans chapter 11, talking about the heave offering, right? How the heave offering sanctifies the whole lump. So Paul knew that there was this whole movement of Shavuot moving forward into the very lives of believers. So the book of the covenant, not only the location of the tablets, stone versus heart, but by the hands which they were hewn. Because Moshe, his hand hewed it, or are we now seeing the fulfillment of Yahusha's pierced hands that have hewn this covenant, and that changes the equation, and it reverses the curses of the book of the law. And that's it. It's a new, thank you, administration. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 4. 2 Corinthians 3, 4. It's nice, isn't it? Reminds me of my grandma's house. She used to have all these kinds of things when we were little kids. Did you? Like in the 70s, right? Do you remember that? They'd have the orange and brown ones because that was like huge, wasn't it? 
like the, the everybody's kitchen would be like orange and brown and then you'd have what, like the avocado appliances yeah man it's like i'm just like wow who would have thunk it right when I was little, I'm sure I was like playing with matches with these when I was a kid, right? I mean, that's some serious pyrotechnic, isn't it? And, tr and such trust, and such trust have we through Mashiach Yehusha toward Elohim. Not that we are sufficient, we're looking at 2 Corinthians 3, 4, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency, it's from Yahweh, who also has made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Ruach, the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Ruach giveth life. How come the book of the covenant, even in its full glory at Shavuot, how did it killeth? Because of where it was written and by whose hands it was written. Which is why now with the new mediation and new administration in Yahusha, you can attain everything that Yahweh gave at the mountain if you will hear and obey my voice. And we have the common testimony. If I had saw myself 10, 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, if I looked at myself today, I'd be like, let's go get this guy. He's a heretic. This is not Calvary Chapel doctrine, right? This is outrageous. But now, look, because we are being moved along in our faith because what? Because we understand the new administration and new mediation and with that simple born-again faith, there does come an accountability and responsibility of conduct. Not that that saves us, but that gives you a special blessing. Does Yahuwah love to reward his children? Yes. If you love me, keep my commandments. doesn't say if you love me, you will have a place in eternity because that is secured by faith and faith alone. But the outworking and wrestling of your faith, the struggle, is what gets you the blessing. And the blessing is the millennial kingdom here on earth. So those letters on hewn tablets they led to rebellion and the death of 3,000. But the Ruach, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, that gives life leads to what? 3,000 coming in to the faith. It's the reversal of the curses. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on the face of Moshe for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. So the book of the law was the ministration or the ministry of death. It was engraved and whitewashed on stones. What stones? You see, and people will naturally, knee-jerk reaction, go, oh, the Ten Commandments. No, 
That is not what this is talking about. It's talking about those stones in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And Deuteronomy chapter 27 then leads you into the prophecy that Ezekiel spoke about in Ezekiel chapter 20, specifically verse 25. But you see, many people charge ahead and are natural stones, and we think Ten Commandments. But those weren't the only stones which were engraven. Deuteronomy 27 and Ezekiel 20 verse 25 is what we're talking about here. It was still glorious, wasn't it? Because it spared life. Was the book of the law glorious? Yes! It spared life. Yahuwah would have committed genocide upon the whole nation of Israel if it wasn't for the book of the law. The book of the law is still the inspired word of Yahuwah. It is glorious because it spared life. But still the children of Israel couldn't look upon the face of Moshe after the golden calf breach, even with the implementation of the book of the law and the cutting of the second tablets. Look what the eighth verse says. And how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed so much more in glory for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth so shavuot this time that we're having together shavuot in yahusha as his priesthood is far more glorious it's far more glorious it's the culmination of all things isn't it? It truly is the culmination of all things. Verse 11 says this, for if that which was done away with, the book of the law was glorious because it spared the whole nation of Israel's life, much more that which remaineth, the book of the covenant is glorious, seeing then that we have such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. You see, if the book of the law, which was done away with, was glorious, how much more will the book of the covenant that remains be glorious? It's pretty plain speech, wouldn't you say? It appears plain speech to me. Verse 13, and not as Moshe, who had to put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel, they could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, we covered this the past couple of the weeks and in, in, in various teachings. We can do the knee-jerk reaction and go, abolish means abolish. Let's look what the Bible says abolish, because it's easy to charge people with, oh, you're saying that the word of Yahuwah is abolished. Heaven forbid. Let's understand what abolished means. So we've touched on that in various teachings in the past. Won't go into it today, but he goes on to say this. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, even until this day, even Shavuot today, are there still some, many, in the Hebrew Roots movement that are celebrating Shavuot today, 
But are they celebrating Shavuot? I've celebrated Shavuot for over a decade, maybe 15 years now. But it's only as I've come into the fullness of the Malkitzedek that I understand that the veil has gone away. Because when I was doing Shavuot many years ago, it was fully rabbinical. Fully rabbinical, getting all of our instruction from various Jewish synagogue of Satan commentaries. And is that glorious? No. But the glory is understanding it being brought forward as Paul is speaking to the Corinthians here. Because now we see, for until this day, there was a time in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement where I was celebrating Shavuot, but I still had a veil over my face in my reading of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Messiah. It's not that the law or the whole of the law is done away with in Messiah. It's that specific part that was added because they could never keep what was given at Shavuot. And now you come back to Shavuot in its Book of the Covenant reality with the veil lifted. So Israel was blinded. Israel was blinded, which was the end result of the Book of the Law and Yahusha's redemption. Just as today, people are still blinded in the reading of the Old Testament in relation to what was taken away and what was restored. So on one side of the aisle, traditional um, Christianity will say, well, the whole of the law was taken away, and now we've got this New Testament standing in its place. But then on the other side of the aisle, we have the Hebrew roots or Messianic in traditional understanding will say, no, the whole lump of it is restored. There's no division. We're going to do it all, but you actually don't. And the New Testament stands too. But the middle ground is truly discerning what's covenant and what's not, and the fullness of the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, in its reality, which is all about Shavuot being brought forward in Yahusha. So many people are still blinded in their reading of the New Testament and in their reading of the Old Testament in relation to what was taken away and what was restored. This blindness, yeah. mm, this blindness, this blindness is what disqualifies them from the millennium, both sides of the aisle. It's the blindness in relation to what Paul is talking about that disqualifies you from the millennium. Either side of the aisle. Because if you're grace alone, grace alone, grace alone, and the law in its entirety is done away with, do you have faith and works? No. But on the other side of the aisle, there is no understanding and the veil remaineth that you're still under the curses plural of the book of the law and there is your disqualification there 
But it is only in the Malkitzedic work of Yahusha that the blessing of restoration, the heavy burden is lifted and faith and works in action qualify you for the millennium, which is what we see in the book of Revelation. Those who keep the testimony of Yahusha and his commandments, the bride is that bone that's taken out of the mass body. And the mass body lies asleep in the grave during the millennium as Chava Eve, the bride, is raised up through a millennium qualification. Does that make sense? Verse 15. Not even unto this day when Moshe is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the master, the veil shall be taken away. Now the master is that Ruach, and where the Ruach, the spirit of the master is, there is liberty, freedom to walk in his commandments without the burden of the rabbinics, and without the pagan lawlessness of Mystery Babylon. Hallelujah. It truly is a narrow road. So we've got two camps with the same outcome. You can either do away with the law, one camp, or you can read the undivided Torah, all you want, the messianic camp. You can even celebrate the feasts. But if a veil remains upon your heart because you've not turned fully to the Malkitzedic high priest Yahusha, then the Holy Spirit that quickens, listen, then the Holy Spirit that quickens at Shavuot won't reveal to you the liberty of the Torah, which is the book of the covenant fulfillment. You'll be stuck in either lawlessness or the letter of the Torah, and you will have no millennial reign. Verse 18, but we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the master, we are changed, that's a transfiguration, changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Ruach, the spirit of the master. So transformation from glory to glory, a transformation of the ministry or administration of Torah. In reality, yes, we had the book of the law sandwiched in between the two, didn't we? We had the book of the covenant, then there was the infraction of the golden calf and the book of the law sandwiched in between the two, and now we come to a Shavuot of celebration. 3,000 were slaughtered, 3,000 come into the ascendancy of the faith, and in between the two, you have a book of the law sandwich. And that book of the law was sandwiched between two perfect administrations. Two perfect administrations of Torah, and both of those administrations of Torah which were perfect, when were they accomplished? At the Passover, weren't they? Would the children of Israel ever have got to Shavuot if they hadn't have come to the Passover? No. And would we ever get to where we're at if we hadn't come to the tree of Mashiach? 
the Passover. So Passover is what brings you in to the full faith plus then the dynamic of it. So I have to be cautious because I do not want to be misunderstood. Especially when you're talking about faith and works. Because the last thing that I would want anyone to misunderstand is that you are saved into eternity by faith and works. You're not. Faith alone. Faith alone. The thief on the tree, he had done no works but wicked works, but by faith alone into eternity. Because the dying man who truly has a conversion experience is secured, faith alone, But faith and works is a special blessing of millennial inclusion. Faith alone is eternal inclusion, but faith alone does not qualify you for a millennial inclusion. And that has to be said, but you have to be very cautious when you're talking about this because many people pervert the true gospel But this really does clear up Calvinism and Arminianism, doesn't it? Again, so that's the beauty of the Book of the Covenant. It truly is a narrow road understanding and it clears up many of these broad road arguments to the left and to the right side of the aisle. Yes, we can talk about traditional Christianity and the whole law being done away with and we can talk about the Hebrew roots and Messianic, all of the law is brought back. Or we can talk about Calvinism and Armenianism, but the Book of the Covenant is the answer to all of these Problems that theologians have had over the centuries. Because it truly is nailed down at Shavuot. And that's what Paul's addressing. Which is why I love Galatians and the writings of Paul. I think he was brilliant. So that's why he is often attacked. Because of misunderstanding on both sides of the aisle. Right? I mean, oftentimes when I was at Calvary Chapel, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay, Paul, 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 but, you know, Yahushua's the one that, you know, saved us. I mean, why are we so into Paul, right? You're like, all right, all right, okay, all right, enough of Paul. But then on the other side of the arsehole, yeah, I don't know about that Paul, you know, he wasn't so went to the... No, no, come on, let's be balanced here, okay? And then there were certain denominations when we were back, you know, in traditional Christian that were like, you know, Paul was on a banner and they were like a big, a pool stick. So you go around and, you know, some of the more hardcore churches that we would go to, you know, they were like, Paul was, they'd use the pool stick on the greasy grace people. (laughs) We went to those churches as well. We went to like the hardcore boot camp ones, didn't we? We tried. We'd always sign up for their like extra classes and yeah. stuff, wouldn't we? Get the pool stick out on the, the liberals trying to sneak in. But verse 18, we all with an open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the master are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the master. So we see this perfect, perfect fulfillment 
So, like I say, we have that book of the law sandwich. And it was a sandwich, wasn't it? A sandwich which Israel was subsided on for close to 1,500 years until the true bread, the true bread showed up at Passover and guided Israel for the first 40 days of their journey to Shavuot. So it's a time to exchange sandwiches, right? Which is why we did the bread. Leaving us to rely, leaving us to rely on the Ruach, the Spirit, to get us back to the right Shavuot status. So that's why the bread is included in the wave offering. It truly is an exchange of sandwiches. And I know that sounds silly, but the book of the law was sandwiched in between the real true bread. But one loaf did fail because of its administration and where it was written. But the new lump, the new loaf that is administered and its ministration is Yahusha, is written on the tablets of your heart. Therefore, that bread is the bread from heaven on which you can sustain your faith walk. So our good works can only be found. Here's the qualifier. Listen, our good works can only, only be found, only be found under the covering of Yahusha's Malkitzedek high priest. If you start to step outside of Yahusha and try to do good works, they are but filthy, filthy rags. It's only under his administration with him in recognition as your Moshiach, your savior, can you walk under his covering and produce good works. And that's where many who go into the works, 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 they're, they're neglecting that it's only under his at-one-ment, his atonement, can we walk into the works. Does that make sense? All in all. If we have works in the book of the law, works of the law, without covenant, it leads to the same place. Romans 9 verse 32, where does it tell us that it leads to? Death. Book of the law works, and that's the problem. Because if you start to do all these Torah, Torah, Torah works in the book of the law, are they under the covering of Yahushua? No. no. So where will they lead to? Death. Death. And that's what Paul's saying. If you're going to do some Torah works, make sure it's under the administration of Yahushua so it will actually count for the millennium kingdom. Otherwise, it's dead works leads to death, Romans 9, verse 32. All of these verses in the New Testament that have boggled people's minds for centuries, they're cleared up when you understand the ministration of life or the ministration of death. The ministration of death or the ministration of the Ruach. So good works are always covenant works and they're only good because they're covered by covenant and the covenant is the finished work of Malkitzedek Yahusha. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yahusha unto good works which Yahweh hath ordained that we should walk in them. Colossians 3.23 and whatever ye do, do it heartily, 
as to the master and not unto men, knowing that the master ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Saviour, Yahushua. But he that doth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respecter of persons. Matthew 19, verse 12. We're talking about the millennium inclusion, and we're talking about millennium exclusion. You are included into the millennium by faith and works. Even a born-again believer of faith alone, faith alone, would be excluded from the millennium and have their portion allotted with them with the unbelievers. They will either die a natural death out in the nation with their portion allotted with the unbelievers, or they will die and then spend the millennium in the grave, Sheol, and will that also be the place allotted with the unbelievers? Because both unbelievers and believers go to the same place until the last resurrection, the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Matthew 19.12 will clear this up, hopefully for us all. For there are some eunuchs which were so born for their mothers from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men and be eunuchs, which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Meaning, there were some, there were some that did works combined with their faith of such radical works because they wanted to secure their flesh from going wayward. Faith and works in radical action. Galatians 5.19 Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's a big word for me this morning, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings. Now, we can go through these lists and a believer that is secure in Mashiach may stumble in one or more of these sins and be convicted and repent. But if this is part of your lifestyle and you do any of these on a regular or semi-regular basis, then you're not converted. You cannot be converted. That doesn't mean that you might not get involved in one of these things and it may be something that will devastate you and you will confess your sins to your brothers, repent and be restored. But if this is something that is part of your life, even in the dark secret places, and you're not, then, then I would seriously be concerned whether you know Yahushua. So this is a check for all of us. They that practice such things. 
envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in the past time, they which do such things shall not inherit the millennium, the kingdom of Yahuwah. So 50 to 60 times the kingdom of heaven is mentioned in the book of Matthew. It's, so it's pretty important, wouldn't you say? 50 to 60 times. Let's turn to Luke 12 together, because this is very important about millennium inclusion and millennium exclusion. Let's go down to Luke 12, 42. And Yahushua said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master shall make ruler of his household? So this word for steward is servant or bondservant. Question before we proceed. Who is your master? Whether it's faith alone or faith and works, your master is Yahusha. So by that description, you are his servants. So is this passage going to be talking about the relationship between born-again believers and Yahusha? Yes. Masters and servants. Whether these masters, whether these servants are faith alone servants or faith and work servants, this is talking about the relationship between born again believers and Yahusha, master and servants. But within that category of servants, we have faith and works, inclusion into the millennium, and faith alone exclusion from the millennium but faith alone does secure you into eternity but you will sit out the millennium in the nations and then when you die a natural death go to the grave you're wherever it is in the nations or the grave it's with the believers Luke 12:42 and Yahushua said, "Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season?" The portion of your meat is the millennium in its due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master when he cometh shall find him doing so. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he have. As in heaven, as on earth is the millennium, rulership over all that Yahweh has. But if that servant say in his heart, well, my master, he's delayeth in coming. They've been saying for thousands of years he's going to be coming back. Oh, I know, you know, whatever. Right? And shall begin to beat the main servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the master of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him asunder, and he will appoint him his portion where? Yahushua just told you that believers, servants that are not 
walking out their faith with works will be allotted a portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his master's will, Yahushua is his master, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. There is an accountability for the faith that you proclaim. So you, if you are born again and you say, hey, I have got grace alone. I don't need any of this commandment keeping stuff. I'll go to church, you know, on Sunday, do my little bit and, you know, whatever. I'm secure in my faith. Great. I look forward to spending eternity with you because you are secured in eternity. Just realize you will be allotted a thousand years with the unbelievers and you will be beaten with many stripes because there is a consequence for naming the name of Yahushua and then not walking it out in this precious life that he's given you. It's called accountability, faith in action. And if you don't believe me, look at Yahweh's requirement of his prophets from Abraham all the way through Daniel and Ezekiel. There's always accountability for faith in action. Always. But he shall be beaten with many stripes, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Why? Because it says in the Brit Hadashtar, him who knows it is sin, to him it is sin. So there truly were, maybe your great-grandmother, maybe your father or grandfather, that was seriously on fire for the Lord in a generation past, okay? They were accountable to the revelation of that generation. And if they were on fire for the Lord and they were doing things and they were moving and shaking and they were advancing the kingdom and they did not know the revelation of this generation, then what? Mercy is applied. What does it say? They shall be beaten with few stripes. But the person that lives in this generation with all of the understanding that Yahuwah has poured out and rejects, I I don't want to know about that. You know, I'm happy with Christmas. I'm happy. I, I, yeah, yeah, I know. But no, no, no. You know, I'm going to continue. You know, well, it's a, it's a, there's much more severity. Because in this generation, the move of the Spirit is moving Yahuwah's people forward. So you can't use the excuse of the past generation's revelation. And the past generation cannot use the excuse of the prior generation's revelation. Because this is called what? Faith in action. It's called progressive revelation. It's a telescoping account of faith in action. That's what the Bible is. Progressive revelation. You have to walk in what is being laid out in your generation. And I pray for my children and and grandchildren that they will be held to an account of revelation even more than what we have. 
But our generation is accountable to this. Verse 48, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whosoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. I am come to send fire on earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? How often have you heard this sermon on Sunday? Never. Heaven's saving faith will not mean you will escape the judgment seat of Messiah. Heaven's saving faith will not mean that you will escape the judgment seat of Messiah. Matthew 18 verse 32. Salah, while you turn there. It's a little heavy. But it's also inspiring. Matthew 18, verse 32. Then his master, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. So the dichotomy here again is the master and his servants. So we're talking about believers and Yahusha. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desired, thy desirest me. All of your sins, everything you did, all of that wicked stuff that you did, I forgave it all. I forgave you everything. This is serious. Shouldest not thou also have the compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had thee pity on thee? You go around and you say, well, that brother, oh man, that brother, that, oh, that sister, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, she's got a really dark background. Do you know what she was involved with? Oh, she used to be this, or he used to be that. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not even sure. You, oh my goodness. What about you? He forgave you and your This is serious. Let me focus on what he's forgiven me, and I tell you what, I will have no place to judge any of you. Thank you, Bishop, your own soul. Then his master, after that, he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thy debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have the compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his master was wroth, and delivered him where? He delivered him to the tormentors, to the punishers till he should pay all that was due unto him. You will literally be cast out of the millennium. You will be delivered unto the nations, the punishments, the punishers, and yet literally be with, whipped and chained until it's all paid for. All of that wickedness, because you wouldn't extend it to your brother what was extended to you. 
because you were so busy judging your brother when you should have been bishoping your own soul. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his master was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. Oh, Matthew, this is not true. Oh, no, I think you, this is an allegory. This is a... What does it say that, yes, Yahweh will implement this? And I, I have deep, deep regret in my life that I was not raised properly and that I had to spend my youth not knowing Yahweh. Deep regret. But, I also, on the other side of it, in the position that I now have as a teacher leading this ministry, I also know that that is something that keeps me in the right place. And that Yahweh somehow in all of the wickedness and hell that it enables me to be able to be used because there's no way I will get above my station because I know where I came from. And I know what he has done in my life. And therefore I can continue to be bold as a lion because it comes from a place of brokenness and it comes from a place of true, true knowing that you know, people misunderstand me and say, oh, I think Matthew's aloof and Matthew's proud. I tell you what, no, I'm not proud. Not if you really know me. I, I'm confident, yeah, in him. But don't mistake that for pride. Because I know where I came from. And that allows me to be loving and minister to all kinds of people because of this very scripture. And that's exactly what Paul said, right? Because if Paul hadn't persecuted the early believers and been elevated to a place of responsibility, it would have led to great pride. But when he saw just how wicked he was and he found that reality on the road of Damascus, that's what qualified him for ministry. So when you and I come to that place of brokenness and we understand our severity of wickedness, that's where Yahweh can minister in that brokenness. Because that's what qualifies you. And everybody has a different story. You don't have to prayerfully and thankfully, many of you haven't had to encounter some of the wicked things that I've had to encounter because you have generational blessing. Because maybe you're not, not first generation, maybe you're second generation. Praise Yahweh for that. But some of us have had to walk through more fire because there was more filth. But Yahweh knows. He knows his children. 
I'm going off on a tangent here because I'm just sharing my heart because this is, this is a very, very personal and severe text that has, I have pondered for a long, long, long time. A long, long time, me ponder this text. <laughs> That's racist! You can't use accents like that! Oh, shut up. Verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his master was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. So born-again believers are saved into eternity by faith. And that's all. That is all you need to do to make it into eternity. But eternity doesn't begin until the second resurrection, which comes after the first resurrection and the millennium here on earth. So those believers who are faith but no works in the Malkitzedic Covenant Code and never persevered past their carnal animal nature will be saved yet what? Cut into two, saved yet have to pay their due. They'll be delivered to the torturers, have to pay what was due them, cast into outer darkness, which is the nations, their portion being appointed with the unbelievers, and they will be called what? What will they be called? You wicked, lazy slave, beaten with many stripes and put through the fire, burned and tortured during the reign of the kingdom. That's a thousand years. Luke 12, 35 and 25, 14. This is a lovely Sunday sermon that we should do at a Baptist church. Look, reality is, best case situation, depending on your perspective, is if they're dead and they know nothing and they're in the grave during the millennium. Best case situation, okay? Worst case situation, depending on your perspective, is that they are alive but enslaved in the nations, being appointed a portion with the new world order because they love the world and they refuse to come out of her when they had the opportunity. So they live and die in outer darkness, the nations, after a good beating and many stripes and being handed over into the FEMA camps and the torturers. There's a FEMA camp coming to you soon. 1 Corinthians 3.13 Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the light of the day of Yahweh shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's faith alone. Is that what it says? No, it shall try every man's works of what sort it is. If any man's work remain, which he has built on, he shall receive a reward. Meaning your works have to be built upon the foundation of Yahushua's resurrection. It's got to be within the covenant code. If any man's work shall be burned, if you're trying to do book of the law works, they're cursed and they lead to death, he shall suffer loss. 
would all be for nothing. All of that Levitical hierarchy, all for nothing. They'll be lost, dead works, but he himself shall be saved if he's truly converted but misguided as one who has been saved by fire. This is the 1,000 year kingdom saved into by works of the priesthood in the covenant code of Torah commandments. It's the sanctification seat. This is my sanctification seat. This is your sanctification seat. It's a different requirement. No mention of faith ever, is there? No. You can lose this salvation from the nations and you don't know whether you've actually attained it until you're in the kingdom. That kingdom of heaven as a kingdom of priests that have escaped from the nations. Look at Philippians 3.12. Let's turn there together. We're, we're finishing up here. This is a Shavuot of separation, isn't it? Not as though, Philippians 3.12, not as though I had already attained. Have we attained the millennium yet? No. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Messiah Yahushua. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. The dead man, all of that stuff I used to do, I'm forgetting that which was behind and reaching forth unto those things, the millennium which is before. I press toward the mark for the prize of that high calling of Yahuwah in Yahusha. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye otherwise be minded, Yahuwah shall reveal even this unto you. This is talking about our faith. Eternity, yes, you're saved into it purely by faith. No works of the priesthood. You cannot lose this salvation, can you? No. By running these two distinctly different time periods together comes confusion, which is the basis of Calvinism saved by faith and Arminianism saved by works because they run these two distinct time periods together. They do not understand the separation of the millennium and then eternity. They run them together and therefore you've got Calvinism and Arminianism. But by breaking this down and understanding the distinction between the millennium being here on earth, ruling and reigning, and then afterwards there is the second coming of Messiah and then eternity, that clears up this. Acts chapter 1 verse 6, it is written. Master, think about it. He's ascended to the heavens. He's about to ascend to the heavens. He's resurrected. This is the first question that they ask the Messiah. He knows all things. And you've got one question to ask him. And this is the question that the disciples ask him. Master, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel. Because at Shavuot, we saw right there, the two loaves. Those two loaves will be made into one. Two houses made into one. And the two natures, carnal and kingdom, will be made into a kingdom nature. If you want to be in the kingdom. So 50 days, 
that we have counted from Passover now or from that first fruits all the way through now to Shavuot. 50 days, it's a journey from the old me to the new me, the old you to the new you. You're moving from that first Adam to the second Adam, the carnal nature to the divine nature, from the barley, which is animal food, to the wheat, which is human food. And there were many, many times that we see these 50 days going from mystery Babylon and coming out of her, my people, into the kingdom realm of his priesthood. We've got to leave Babylon behind. History tells us that Israel experienced 50 levels of descent into Egypt. 50 levels of descent into Egypt. And then what happened? They were abandoned, right? Abandoned for a time. Ultimately ending up being fed the food of animals and being treated just like animals. So culturally, I believe we are at the latter stages of the 40s and fast encroaching upon the 50th, 50th descent as our world's morals are circling down the drain. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Israel is descending into chaos left out in the nations. If you stay in the nations, you're going to go swirling down the drain with the rest of them because it is declining rapidly, rapidly, rapidly. If believers stay in the world, in the system, even if they are saved, they will be appointed and allotted their portion in either the grave, sitting out the millennium, or enslaved and tortured in the nations. Because most believers continue to eat the world's portion, the earthly, natural, animal food. They really do. But our diet, it has to be of a different nature. I'll finish up with 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. And then maybe we have some questions from you, our online audience. How about, do you like that when I move the finger towards the camera with this short camera? It's like, looks really weird, doesn't it? <laughs> Coming in. <laughs> How bet? It's that fisheye lens, right? That fisheye globalist lens gives you the curvature, right? How bet? This is when you're supposed to come up with your t-shirt. <laughs> How bet that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. For the first man is the earth, earthy. The second man is the master from heaven, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, which is fleshly, which is carnal. And as is the heavenly, such are they which are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Mystery and victory. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. The carnal nature, faith alone, and remaining a carnal believer cannot inherit the millennium. It doesn't say that you can't inherit eternity. 
But that's the distinction. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you, this is a mystery. We shall not all die, but you'll be transfigured right into the millennium. This is amazing. And this is the Shavuot of separation. It's a lot to ponder. It's a lot to think about, but it's a very serious calling. It's a very serious calling. Questions, comments? So we asking, is this for all means by handing the man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit would be saved? Exactly, that's the difference between being handed over to the torturers. So we're starting to see now, with this paradigm shift, you'll start to read the scripture and see it more and more and more as it's laid out. The difference between faith alone, eternity, and faith and works into the millennial kingdom. But it's already the foundational basis of this is understanding a post-millennial return of Messiah and a literal 1,000 year reign here on earth. So it's very easy to say, oh look, we teach this, but you're actually, you've got to unlock and unblock many, many big stumbling blocks, which have been there for, you know, thousands of years, whether it's Calvinism, Armenianism, um, the pre-millennial return of Messiah, um, the, the pre-tribulation rapture, you've got, you know, this third temple, Ezekiel's temple, Zionism, all of that has to collapse. Um, recognizing all of this is part of coming into the full maturity of our faith. All right, and then in regards to your statement, salvation can change your DNA code, how can that happen? How can that happen? Could you answer that question for me? Yes. Um, the DNA can we, yeah, let's give... Uh, It's interesting that the, the DNA of a human um, has the code of four letters, just like we speak in 26 letters, A to Z, and we say our sentences in paragraphs and, 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 um, and words that way. And that's how we present ourselves as communication. So the, the DNA communicates in four letters, A, T, G, C. So it goes to A, T, T, D, C, G, A, like Morse code. When the DNA, when the letters don't line up right, there's a mutation. Well, the perfect sequence is in the Messiah. So Yahusha has a perfect ATGC-based pair of sequence all the time. So when you pray for the binding of your DNA to his DNA, then you have his DNA that's perfection, that has no mutations, no, no, um, no imperfections, so that, that, that your DNA lines up with that. Now, in, the, in this world, there's a lot of carcinogens and a lot of uh, free radicals that can enter into the cell and damage the DNA, instead of the DNA printing out L-I-V-E cell, a live cell, to make it easy, it prints out evil, E-V-I-L, or vile, V-I-L-E, when it gets hit. And it has a, a repair system inside, it's an enzymatic repair system inside the cell, but when the DNA gets hit by radiation, by carbon monoxide, cigarette smoke, whatever it is, the DNA letters will go from L-I-V-E, live cell, healthy live cell, Evil, E-V-I-L, it's the same letters, or vile, V-I-L-E. 
but you'll never have that problem if you're binded to the Messiah's perfect DNA. So there's your eternity right there. Wow. That was a, that was a deep answer. Fabulous. Hopefully you picked up the audio. Did they pick up the audio on that? Good. Excellent. No more questions. Anybody locally? All right. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. We thank you for joining us live this Shavuot. Be blessed, everybody. And we look forward to seeing you next Shabbat live. Yes? Question? Oh, are we going live this afternoon at 3? We are? All right. Oh, they are, apparently, we're going live this afternoon at 3. Goodness gracious. It keep me in line. Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Amen. All right. <laughs>